Color can make or break a garment. Now, I know me personally, I don't know how many times I've been in a store and been like, that shirt would look a lot better in black. Now, I may be biased just because I love the color black. But regardless of that, color also plays a big part, not only because trends, of course, with colors, but because of the fact that color holds its own unique special power. And with garments... It goes as far as the fact that it can evoke feelings, it can blend the lines between masculinity and femininity in clothing, and I mean, colors can be associated with a specific brand. Now, the psychology of colors in fashion is a topic within itself, but today we're going to go into what exactly does it mean to own a color within the fashion industry? Can you own a color in the fashion industry? And how do you own a color within the fashion industry? This is The Label Law Talks, hosted by Grace Azuike. Welcome to Color Code. Can you own a color? Hello, everybody, and welcome, welcome, welcome. We're in season two. Season two is off to a terrific start. Thank you guys for everything per usual. This is Grace, and today we're going to touch on something that I actually touched on in the past, which was trademarking a color. Now, in the first season, I talked about Christian Louboutin versus YSL during Brand Protection 101 in our trademarking episode. And it's actually funny because Christian Louboutin has really shaken up the legal field when it comes to trying to trademark a color. Now, he's trademarked that red sole all the way from the United States into Australia. All over the globe, it's recognized. And just last year, they actually went to China trying to trademark it in the Chinese trademark office as well. Now, when it comes to understanding what it means to own a color, you have to look at the fact that with trademarking a color, you definitely have to show that when people think of your brand, they automatically think of that color. Now, one of the first ones that anybody can think of specifically, and I know for any lady at least that's listening to this episode, that Tiffany Blue is probably one of the first things that you think of when you come to a color associated with some type of brand. So for Tiffany to guarantee this trademark of Tiffany Blue, it had to distinguish itself in the fashion industry of when people see this shade of blue, they automatically think of Tiffany. And now that kind of sounds really simple, but when you look at a lot of different key factors within how that's even distinguished, that is where trademarking a color becomes a really lengthy and almost not necessarily worth it process. Now, let's say, for example, Hermes. Hermes is known for the Birkin, is known for the Kelly, is known for the Big H Hermes belt, but Hermes is also known for a specific shade of orange. And this is where Pantone comes into play. So Pantone is a color company. It was started by two men in either New York or New Jersey. And their purpose was actually a printing company. So that was the original plan of what the company was for. But within that printing, they were printing colors. And they were printing so many colors that they started putting numbers on the colors. There were newer colors that are made by mixing other colors. Everybody knows the color wheel is not just red, orange, blue. You know, it's a bunch of different colors mixed together. So within that, they started giving these colors numbers. 
So I believe the first number is like 0001. I'm not sure if this is another zero, but it's along that range and the numbers go from there. How brands specifically use this color tool through Pantone is that they can now go in and, you know, when they get that correct specific shade that they want associated with their brand or it just goes with their branding currently so they know in the future they want to trademark it. That specific number is where they're going to try and trademark that specific color. And that right there is called color marking. So color marking is a specific type of trade dress within trademarking. I'm going to go deeper into trade dress actually later on in the season. So I don't want to talk about too much of it, but a deeper part of that is that you have to legally establish that it has secondary meaning. And secondary meaning is actually touched on by one of my favorite books um, about fashion law. It's actually called The Fashion Law Textbook um, by Guillermo Jimenez. And it talks about how establishing well, um, sorry, secondary meaning has to do with the average consumer being able to immediately look at a color and think of a single entity. So let's go back to Hermes. We're talking about that orange color that it is known for. Hermes had to establish that when the average consumer, and let's say consumer of not just Hermes, but the average fashion, high fashion consumer sees that color, they distinguish, okay, that is more than likely Hermes packaging rather than let's say Louis Vuitton packaging. And that is how you establish secondary meaning. Now, when you hear that, what is that like? What it? What are the first things that you might think of when it comes to how secondary meaning is even established? In my head, the automatic was that okay. Well, I mean, it has to be with over time. I mean, you just build the, you know, clout. I mean, <laughs> like, I don't really know the audience, the branding, everything. Like, you get your name out there, people know exactly what you know your brand is, what the color is, everything it's known for, all that, and. Boom. So it sounds like, you know, it's just like over time, you know, blah, 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 which in the fashion industry can take a very long time, decades, maybe even a century. But that is what poses the biggest threat in a lot of these cases, because even being world famous is sometimes not even enough just to establish that you have secondary meaning when it comes to your the color that you're trying to trademark, at least. And this was actually seen outside of the fashion world. General Mills failed to trademark its famous yellow box for the Cheerios box. And I mean, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say that I'm pretty sure every single person past the age of probably even two years old can definitely identify what a Cheerios box looks like, could probably describe it whether it's the Honey Nut Cheero, Cheerios or the regular Cheerios, I'm pretty sure everybody knows it. But just because of that, that doesn't mean that it establishes secondary meaning. And that's where the trickiness comes into it with the whole, like, is it even necessary for you to trademark the color? Because, I mean, like, what? Then in some cases, like with Glossier, establishing your brand's association with the color doesn't even have to take decades of fame or even centuries of fame or even just a certain level of being, you know, high luxury fashion or something like that. 
because Glossier has only been around since 2010 and they successfully got their pink pouch trademarked. And I mean, you can't copy that pink pouch no more. <laughs> like it's not even everybody. As soon as you see that pink pouch, thinks of Glossier. And whether you're a man, woman, you know, you think of it. And because of that, with them only being 10 years old, it shows that it's not necessarily time. It's not necessarily world famous, like being world famous, but it just has to do with can you establish that secondary meaning? And really, it makes me pose another question, which is the title of this whole entire episode. Can you even own a color? Like, is it really, can you own a color because one, can you? And two, should you? So the question at the root of all of this is, can you own a color? A simple answer really honestly is yes, but there's a lot of stipulations, of course, just like I've mentioned that come into play when you want to own a color or even think about completely just thinking like, is it necessary for me to trademark this color? Have I distinguished myself enough to even say that there's secondary meaning and that people honestly already automatically think of this color and think of my brand? And when I say people, it's not like, oh, okay, yeah, like if you go, let's say there's a Houston designer that uses a specific shade of blue. If you go to someone in Houston that's in that circle, we'll just be like, oh yeah, like I automatically think of blase blah when I see that color of blue. Nah, this is like, a, okay, well, I could go to someone in Iowa. This is exaggeration, of course, but I could go to someone in Iowa and show them this shade of blue and they'll be like, oh yeah, that's definitely Tiffany blue. Like that's, that's instantly Tiffany blue. So that's where secondary meaning comes in. And that is where owning a color comes in. Now, I say it's a tricky question to answer in the yes or no sense, just because like I said, yes, you can, but it's just like that whole process of like going through that and even establishing that one is hard. And another reason is like, do you really, really just need to trademark a color? Is it really going to hinder yourself in these stages of your career or this stage of your branding for you to own that specific color. Like you do want to get ahead of the curve just because like you don't want another brand to also blow up and be using that color. And then when they maybe surpass you or not even surpass you, but just get to a good place where they feel the boldness enough to go trademark it, you don't want someone else to trademark that, of course. So it's all about being careful specifically. And like I always say, I'm not giving legal advice. <laughs> um, this is just me talking about what is out there for everybody to learn more about fashion law. As always, thank you guys for listening. This is The Label Law with Grace A. Catch you guys next week.